Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please stand your far code. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Oh boy. I took a week off vacation, so I am giving you a boatload of incredible interviews this week. And this will be no different. I am thrilled to have back on my homie from Expat Money, Mikel Thorup. Welcome in, sir. Hello. How's it going, Clint? Good to be back. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for thank you for joining us. And a new addition to the Liberty Lockdown family, we got Daniel Prince of the Once Bitten Podcast. Welcome in, Daniel. How you doing, guys? Nice to meet you, Clint. Mikel, always a pleasure to see you. Absolutely, my friend. Good to see you for sure. Um, so I think uh, because Mikel's been on the show before, you know, my audience will be familiar. But uh, Mikel, go ahead and tell people just like a 20-second recap as to why they might want to listen to you. Yeah, sure. So Canadian citizen, I've been living overseas for going on 23 years now. Uh, visited over 100 countries, lived in nine, circumnavigated the globe over 400 times. I help Americans and Canadians, really people from anywhere in the world, but mostly focused on Americans and Canadians to get out. Uh, we move them offshore. We deal with their tax issues. We deal with their immigration issues, the legal issues, find them a new home, get away from all this rubbish that's happening in North America and in Western Europe and get them set up in a more just holistic type of spot, you know, get rid of the tax bill and everything like that. Um, it's going really well been doing this for a long time, get a really good response. We just had a huge summit with Dr. Ron Paul as a speaker, my friend Doug Casey, Jim Rogers, and about 30 other, 40 other uh, big speakers. So that was a huge event. But uh, definitely happy to be back, Clint, and, and to discuss uh, um, the topics of uh, all the lockdowns in the world and what's going on today. And, uh, and definitely very happy to be joined by my friend Daniel here, by Daniel Prince. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh... Daniel and I have just introduced each other uh, about 10 minutes ago. So go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience as well. Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me on, Clint. And great to hang with you, Mikel. And a big shout out to the guy that uh, he knows who he is that put this together. He wanted to hear Mikel and I on your show together. And, uh, yeah. you know, being the uh, entrepreneurial type, I suppose, he he made something happen. So thank you for, <laughs> for doing that. Um, Jethro, he's he's great. All right. <laughs> there you go. You, it's your pod. You shout him out. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah. My, my story is I worked in, um, in Singapore for 15 years. I spent 18 years of my career in uh, foreign exchange markets uh, before finally coming to the realization after reading The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss at the age of 37, which was late to find it for me uh, because I was married with four kids at the time. Uh, I came to realize I was living what he calls a deferred lifestyle. And that really uh, shook me to the core, uh, especially with four young kids at home and a wife that was spent her time running around their schedules and you know their, uh, their timetables. And me just becoming a, a lodger in my own home at the weekends, if I was lucky, if I was not you know, out on the, uh, the golf course, entertaining corporate events, et cetera. Many people listening to this probably know that, that feeling of running a thousand miles an hour on the, the hamster wheel just to stand still. Uh, the four hour work week really turned my head upside down. I read it four times in as many months. And by the fifth month, I'd thrown in my, um, my career. We'd thrown the keys back at our landlord. We'd sold pretty much everything we owned. We took our four kids out of school and we started to travel the world with them. And we did that via the sharing economy, uh, via a, a website called Love Home Swap 
which I found randomly one day daydreaming at work. And we used that site to home swap our way around the world. We did that, like I said, for two and a half years. That's when I started falling down the rabbit hole of, wow, who actually needs a state? What, what is this? This is complete freedom. We can do what we want, when we want, how we like it. We stopped even realizing what day of the week it was. Time meant something completely different. We saw the kids flourish. We saw ourselves flourish. I'd never learned so much so quickly in such a short amount of time. And um, yeah, that brought me to Bitcoin, which I see as freedom money. And that culminated in me writing a book about our journey and the decisions that we made. That's called Choose Life. And ultimately starting a podcast about Bitcoin in an attempt to interview as many people as I could find around the world to help educate others about Bitcoin and what it can mean for them and what it can mean for their families. So that's what I spend my time on, on now, trying to help educate people about escaping the rat race, exposing the education system for what it is, and exposing the fiat monetary system for what it is. So that's what um, I, my focus and passions lie at the moment. Well, now I, I fully understand why you were recommended to me. I, I don't think I've ever actually uh, mentioned this on my show before, but the four-hour work week I read when I was about, I think, 29 years old. And, uh, you know, I, I started my own mortgage company about a year later, and I was retired eight years after that. So I uh, I could not agree more. That book was absolutely, you know, foundational to my awakening. Uh, I was already, you know, hardcore Ron Pauler libertarian type, but... Um, as an entrepreneur, having the entre entrepreneurial spirit, but not really fulfilling that that portion of my soul, uh, that that book absolutely launched me into the uh, the next level of my life. Um, very very powerful stuff. I, I need to get Tim Ferriss on at some point. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he he really did absolutely. Change my life. Um, Mikhail, I'm sure you've read the book as well. Yeah, I've read it definitely. Um, what they don't tell you in that book, though, is when you become an entrepreneur, it's not four hours. I mean, it's more like fourteen <laughs> hours. At least that's been my journey. So well, I don't know about I, you guys. I, let me let me say though, it does feel as if I only work four hours per week because I'm yeah. actually pursuing. Oh, and sorry, fourteen hours per day. That would be not fourteen hours per week. That would <laughs> yes. still be a dream. Fourteen hours per day is kind of what I've found. No, no, I, I'm with you, man. I, it, but it is it is funny, like. As soon as I retired, I never worked harder in my life <laughs> like, yeah. because because instead of pursuing, you know, what I needed to pursue, I was pursuing what I wanted to. And sure. so I don't I don't ever feel like I'm working. And, you know, at this point, I haven't managed to turn this into a cash cow that was comparable to what I was doing in my old profession. But it's getting there and it's doing so very rapidly. And it's like it, it's just it's so um it's so much more gratifying to be on this path. Like even though I'm making, you know, a third or a fourth of what I once did at my my maximum earning potential, uh, I just I every day I wake up and I'm more I'm more ecstatic to go after it, you know, to go after life. And um, so yeah, it's just it's just incredible to hear your story, Daniel. That that was that was really the book that was the catalyst. I was like, damn, I don't even think I've mentioned that. But I, I went on a cruise. I, I was working for my family, um, and I quit. <laughs> and I went on a three week cruise to the Panama Canal, which Mickle's in Panama right now. This story is all aligning perfectly. This is bizarre. <laughs> uh, and on it, I read the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and I read. Uh, be here now by Ramdas. <laughs> like those two books combined, like don't do that at the same time. That's like taking too many red pills at once because uh, my whole my whole worldview shifted very rapidly. Uh, anyways, sorry. So 
Mikkel, uh, what was what was the uh, was there a book that that like made you this uh, this globe trotting? No, I mean I dropped out of school when I was twelve years old, which I'm sure we talked about last time. Yes, and yes. I started traveling as a teenager because you know. I had seen my father talk my father talk about these types of things when I was growing up and it was something I wanted to do and just got out there in the world and fell in love with travel instantly. Um, I read uh, an obscene amount of books throughout my life and I'm a voracious reader, but I can't pick one that was like, you know, that moved me on this path for expatriation or travel or anything like that. I definitely think that there have been monumental books in my life, and one of them is called Mindset. I don't know if either of you guys have read the book Mindset by Carol S. Dweck. Well worth a read. Well worth a read, especially as an entrepreneur trying to build anything. Yeah, I love it. Well, I'll add that to my list for sure. Um, Daniel, so your your experience, is a, was it a, a currency trader? Is that what you said? Foreign exchange broker. So Foreign exchange I, broker. Yeah, I sat between the traders, uh, finding them the... Um, the market rates that they wanted to transact on and took a took a cut and took a commission uh ultimate rent seeking seat in the uh, the world of finance <laughs> that's a little unfair come on <laughs> um yeah well what was the uh i mean because you have that that experience of of seeing the the machine the inner workings um give me some give me some insight into it man like is it is it as corrupt as i would imagine um hmm yeah. All right. That was uh, a leading question. You yeah, just tell, no, me, tell me whatever you want about it. Yeah, it, it's interesting because at the, the very last year of my career, I switched from foreign exchange to commodities. And if people thought foreign exchange was unregulated and bad and corrupt, my goodness, wait until you see what's going on in the uh, the, the palm oil and soft oil markets out of Malaysia and um, Indonesia and well, Southeast Asia, basically all over. Yeah, that was truly eye-opening. Um, and it made foreign exchange trading and uh, broking look like a, an absolute golden poster child of regulated uh, <laughs> markets, which obviously we all know of this, you know, the, the, the huge scams that have come up um, from within those markets, whether that's individual traders blowing up massive positions and you know, putting you know, the bank in jeopardy or fixing rates that, you know, the LIBOR scandal and things like that. Um, but there's a lot of, yeah, the, the, and this is all bad incentives, right? Driven by fiat legacy currency systems. Uh, and those that are closest to the spigot of the money, i.e., in my case, you couldn't have been closer, like I said, with foreign exchange. As soon as that freshly printed money gets thrown into the system, it's got to be disseminated out into the like the triple a the double a the a the triple b the double b and it just comes all through the foreign exchange markets um and those guys are incentivized to get that deal at whatever cost yeah so well, you see some very and it's very toxic it's very high energy it's very high stress and you see some very bad behavior from people um not to say that there are just so many great people there just trying to put food on the table and a roof over their heads right and pay their mortgages um but it definitely attracts the the more sociopathic kind of <laughs> natured person <laughs> for sure yeah yeah well you know high finance uh tends to do that because that's where the power is at so people that seek power will end up there usually um no i i i totally agree with you and i, I think that 
this is one thing that I have, uh, I mean, I, I think I probably knew it in my core, but I have really internalized it and processed this thought more thoroughly over the past couple of years is that as long as you have the primary, um, you know, grease to the economic engine being fiat that is printed by central banks or, you know, electronically concocted by central banks, uh, you don't have a free market. You know, like from its from its foundational basis, you have a, a, a you know misallocation of capital. You have the Cantillon effect. You have inequality that's coming because of relationships to the government and your proximity therein. Uh, it's it's so it's so corrupted at its core, at its foundation that like even if you had good altruistic people that are in these roles, it's really irrelevant. Like you, the 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 actual premise of it is so counter to what a free market would ultimately, you know, be. And I don't know that people have really processed that. It's like, we still kind of frame it as if like America has a capitalist economy. It's like, well, <laughs> do we have it? Like if you, if at its core, you have a central bank, which is not just setting the amount of currency that exists within the system, but also the fucking interest rates that you can borrow that capital at. And that is a global market, so it's basically manipulating the entire global economy on top of the domestic economy uh, more specifically. It's like, man, you're dealing with a very fundamentally flawed system. I'll let you guys hop in wherever you think about that. I'm curious about Daniel's opinion with FTX. I mean, yes. coming from <laughs> a currency trading background and being a Bitcoin maxi, I'm, I'm yep. kind of curious what your th thoughts are on this uh, gentleman and what's happened. Uh, uh, how how anybody couldn't see through that guy's a fraud from just taking one look at his picture is beyond. I mean, how much due diligence you didn't need to do more DD than just look at a picture of the guy. Then, if you wanted to move on from that, if you weren't convinced, just watch one interview with the guy, and you can just put a great big cross through his face immediately. I do not know how we in the Bitcoin community, we'd been calling this guy out for so long, so long. No one was willing to listen. Somehow he became like the, the poster child of God knows how many, the, the, the people that were backing him, like the, the more and more this, this story unfolds and how much money he had um, put into the, uh, the Biden administration, the Biden campaign, I think, um, is just absolutely shocking like this it yeah. isn't the end of this story and um, <laughs> how is he now cryptically still tweeting from wherever the hell he's sitting how is he not in a in at least uh, a domino <laughs> <laughs> but, but at least not bought in for questioning like nothing because i think he was doing his job man i like honestly like the more the more i i watch this guy um, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, because I'm not, you know, that heavily into the crypto space, I've been focused on my show and in, in conversations like that, even though I am a, a you know, Bitcoin guy. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't privy to FTX. Like I literally hadn't even heard of it until it blew up, you know, mm -hmm. 10 days ago. And I was completely unaware of this guy. You know, I had no idea who he was. But as soon as I saw an interview of him and they like they have these really highly produced interviews where he's talking about, you know, I, I want to make money to save the world. And it's like, like instantly all I'm hearing is like, oh, you're the poster boy for ESG. Like you are the <laughs> symbolic, you know, uh, embodiment of the corruption that is ESG where you're just 
completely full of shit. It's all virtue signaling. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you're a Ponzi scheming scumbag. And it's like, mm -hmm. but but what is fascinating about him is that because of his relationships, uh, when you see uh, the, the trajectory of his career, three years from basically nothing to, to you know, 30 plus billion dollars or something in net worth is what they claimed. Uh, I just can't come to any other conclusion that a 28 year old to 31 year old that puts that kind of uh, wealth together, doing so with all relationships with the highest levels of the Democrat Party specifically, but some Republicans as well. And I'm just coming away thinking like, man, is this an op from the inception to to lay the groundwork for a regulatory framework against Bitcoin specifically? I think it's false flag. Absolutely. Without yeah. a doubt. I mean, he was not someone that I ever followed either. I've have not used an on-ramp or off-ramp for crypto for probably five years. I mean, right. just I get paid in crypto. I use crypto. I'm not using any of these centralized places. The whole point of it is to be decentralized. And I don't understand how you could possibly think that a guy like this would have been the friends to crypto with what is coming out now with him supporting vaccine mandates and all of these types of things. It's like, that is not the people I usually associate with the crypto. Like my people are usually like the crypto anarchists, like very right. libertarian, you know, very morals and ethics. And and you start seeing all these pictures coming out and all this stuff that this guy was doing. And it's like, this doesn't make any sense. This is like so bizarre. Like I, I couldn't make up things like this, even if I tried, I swear. <laughs> they have the they have the interview where they have the slow the slow zoom in on his face and then it pans to his Toyota Corolla and they're like, this man's worth billions of dollars and he still drives a Toyota Corolla. I'm like, oh, he's a con artist. <laughs> like, like, right away. Um, not, not because he drives a Toyota Corolla. There's nothing wrong with being frugal, even though you have wealth. But the fact that you're advertising it makes me immediately think that you're a scumbag. Um, anyways, uh, Daniel, what would you think about my, my thesis that this may have been an op from the get go to try and lay out regulatory framework? I think you're bang on. Uh, it's that that's the kind of uh, thought process that's going around the, the whole community at the moment because it, nothing else seems to make sense at all. Uh, <laughs> and like, okay, so why is he not in jail? Like you said, perhaps he was just doing his job or he's got something on someone. Uh, you know, they're, they're the only two possibilities right now that uh, are keeping him out of jail because his feet should not have touched the floor. <laughs> It's yeah. full on fraud. Yeah. No, what, I mean, what can you say? Yeah, one of the highest levels of fraud I've ever seen, and yeah. um, it, you know his his relationship to uh, the Democrat Party, and, and you know specifically, is really uh, wow. I mean, the the fact that he was opening up the the donation avenue for crypto through FTX through Ukraine, which also is a hotbed of of corruption for our global elites. I'm like, I don't think that's a coincidence. Come on, man. Like, um, and then the fact that he's he, he's one of the the few, you know, Bitcoin or not Bitcoiners, but you know, people in the crypto space um, that is advocating, you know, vociferously for hard regulations on on his market. I'm like, oh, you're my enemy, like from Jump Street. I don't understand how the you know the Bitcoin community didn't ex like successfully excommunicate him uh, or out him sooner to be honest uh, you know daniel you said that that they had been you know pointing out what a mm -hmm. likely fraud he was do you know why he wasn't taken down sooner the, the, whoever whoever had his back 
basically. Yeah. Whoever, whoever propped um, him up. You know, <laughs> yeah. Whoever was, uh, whoever you know, that, that invisible hand was, um, th those powers that be kept the narrative in the forefront. And it was very powerful, right? They had the FTX arena in Miami. Uh, that that was like Miami Heat's um, right, arena. Right. They uh, right okay, and then they had um, one of the biggest sponsorships in Formula One all over the uh, the Mercedes McLaren F1 team. I mean that this is huge amounts of money, huge amount. And then we there was one crypto influencer the other day tweeted something along the lines of how he'd received seventy thousand dollars in sponsorship money for just posting ads on his show, whether that was in one month or one year, I can't remember, but it's an obscene amount of money. It's ridiculous. Uh, so whoever was funneling all of this activity and the narrative, he couldn't have done it alone. It was well-crafted. Yeah. We'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. We're, we're ahead of it as usual. When, when, um, if you if you look at like the the Bitcoin community, they they see these things very very quickly and they warn whoever's listening. Right. Um, but there's still a very very small few people that are actually paying attention. Right. Um, you ever struggled to decide on who you're going to date, who you're going to marry, what kind of house you're going to move into, apartment you're going to rent, the career you're going to pursue, mortgage broker, podcaster. Stand-up comic. I, I measure and weigh these questions daily. But we do not spend enough time thinking about our healthcare decisions. But guess what? You can do so today. Open enrollment is now here. And that means now is the time to take charge of your healthcare decisions. Today's episode is brought to you by Crowd Health. And that is how, ladies and gentlemen, you can do something to take control over that aspect of your life. Do so today. CrowdHealth puts your healthcare back in your hands, cuts out the middleman, saves you money, and funds your healthcare costs without relying on big government or big insurance companies. You can see any doctor you want, no deductibles, exclusions, or copays. You only pay the first $500 of any healthcare event. The CrowdHealth community takes care of the rest. No exclusive doctor networks, no huge premiums or high deductibles, and no surprises. I did an interview with the founder, which you can find on my episode about the war they wanted it's the second half of that episode. You guys can check it out to get the ins and outs of exactly how this works. But fascinating uh, business model. And I think one that you should definitely consider if you've been disappointed with your health insurance, because I have myself. Open enrollment is the only time you can hit the eject button on the broken system without penalty. So don't wait. And for a limited time, just for uh, $99 per month for your first six months, when you use promo code lockdown at joincrowdhealth.com, that's joincrowdhealth.com. Dot com promo code lockdown crowd health is not health insurance it's a totally different way of paying for healthcare terms and conditions may apply it's 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 difficult you 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 cannot beat these behemoths especially when they have control of mainstream media yeah well i think what was interesting too is i think it was the intercept or maybe it was Gar the guardian um came out with an article two days ago saying that they had been receiving you know significant funds from sbf you know directly and really and and they said that it was not just them but it looks as if he was essentially like the bill gates of the financial writing industry where he was just donating or buying ads or whatever on so many of these these big publications that ultimately no one was willing to speak out uh no one at the the you know 
higher level, the the authoritative platforms, you know, not not us indie folks that are telling the truth, um, <laughs> but, but the people that are bought off. Uh, so I think I think that's really how he got away with it as long as he did. And he didn't really get along, get away with it very long. It's three years, um, but it was very successful in the sense that it, it I mean, the, the wealth that he accumulated very rapidly was incredible and it blew up very rapidly, too. But um, how how deep does this rabbit hole go? Uh, Mikel, do you, do you have any ideas? No, I don't. I mean, I'm watching it in the peripheral view. I mean, I'm not super into it or paying attention because it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect my life. I wasn't have any money. Like I said, I haven't been using on ramps and off ramps for years. Um, I don't encourage that type of stuff. I like decentralized and that's what we do. Um, it's just you know, I don't spend too much time on it. I think it's just kind of interesting to watch what's going on. But my business, my podcast, my summit, the blog, newsletter, everything is based on solutions. I mean, that's all I care about. So right. I have no idea what's going on in half of the world. I know that there's evil in the world. I know that there's true evil out there in the world. Um, and there's people out there who are trying to destroy our lives. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, this should not be a shock to anybody at this point. Um, I'm super focused just on helping people get out. And that's all I'm doing all day long is just working with clients and just relocating them out of the States, out of Canada, out of Western Europe. We move them down to Latin America. We move them to tax-free countries. We get them set up with a new home. And, you know, we just get rid of all this divisiveness and all of this politics and the mainstream media. We just kind of leave it all behind. It's this parallel society. That's the very small niche that I work in. Yeah, um, I love it. But I, I am very curious. I, I did want to ask you about this, these things, Daniel, your opinion, because I'm sure you had some, <laughs> some, some genuine insights, certainly more than I have. Uh, yeah, no, no, no more than what I've just shared. Uh, I, I think the rabbit hole goes very deep, and I think it's going to be a very interesting couple of months seeing what does get uh, turned up. I've, I've already, <laughs> I think someone's already tweeted uh, uh, SBF didn't kill himself. Right. So that's what I was thinking when you were speaking. I was like, oh, he's going to get suicided. Yeah. Right. Well, wow. if he's if he's smart, he's got a dead man drop that will keep him on this side of the ground. Um, you know, because I, 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 I would imagine that he understood the inner workings of this thing, even if he was kind of propped up by who knows CIA or whoever. Um, I would imagine that he knew, you know, this is a very perilous path to be on and you should probably have an insurance policy. And I don't just mean some Bitcoin that's in cold storage. Like <laughs> you need a, a much more significant insurance policy if you're going to be running a Ponzi scheme that appears to have been funding the Democrat machine. Uh, very, very intense stuff. And I, I my uh, question is, are they going to be giving that money back if they took fraudulent funds? They know that it's fraudulent. Are they going to be giving Maxine them Waters was already like, Maxine Waters was already asked and she said no. She said she's not even Jesus. considering it. So uh, you have your answer. I mean, of course they're not going to. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I did want to talk to you guys a little bit about the the current economic landscape. Uh, and I know you know Mikel's focused on solutions, but I think that in order to understand uh, you know what the solutions are, you have to understand the problem. Um, I do think that the 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 global economic uh, landscape has never been worse in my lifetime and i think that next year could could very likely be the hardest of my life um first off i'll just start there uh daniel do you think that that's a fair assessment or am i overstating it no i think that's a fair assessment uh, i think our biggest battle 
to warn people about that's coming is this real real push for central bank digital currencies yep. and to take us back to what you were talking about there at the very beginning about how can we even believe that we're anywhere near a capitalist society if the very thing we all spend our time and energy on to gain is completely corrupted and manipulated from the very get-go like you, you that's like building you can't build anything on that you just right. can't this it, is building it, on sand <laughs> completely and those that are successful on it have been successful um at I'm sure they've cut a few corners on the way, greased a few palms here and there. That's the only way that you can get this done in a, in a fiat system, as we were discussing the incentives earlier. So now to, to transition away from this fiat currency system that we all know is completely broken into the Great Reset, which is that narrative back to like the COVID times. And obviously by the Great Reset, they're talking about bringing in a, a new form of, of currency as they did after, um, you know, the Bretton Woods system in, in 1944 and then in 1971, moving to the, the dollar system, the petrodollar system. Um, they're going to want to move to the CBDC system, central bank digital currency. And that is the narrative that they're going to start lining up. We've already had Rishi Sunak, who mysteriously got the role of prime minister, even though he didn't get the role of prime minister and the lady that did was only there for 40 odd days. I mean, like the, the clown show that's going on in the UK is unbelievable. But the way the... Like, oh, we're the, giving you a run for your money though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw, but we have a senator who's brain dead. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the way people listen and watch what's going on, like they actually have some kind of say in it. Like they were watching debates between Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. What's the point? You don't have a vote. <laughs> like it's just pure theater at this stage. And right. then she wins and 40 days later, no, she's out. And like, no one really even knows why. And he's in anyway. And then he comes out and he's still, he's historically pushed central bank digital currencies and he's going to be making more and more noise about that. And they're going to be doing, I'm sure their best to uh, get cozy with the idea um, of the, you know, the civilization there that this is the best thing to move us forward, to get us out of this rut, to break this cost of living crisis. We need a new way. We need a great reset. We need a new currency. And probably the way they'll do it is in stages they'll dangle the carrot with an exchange rate uh, whereby if you are the first to transition to the central bank digital currency then you'll get a better exchange rate than if you are in the second tranche the third tranche i don't think they'll be able to like pull a, a you know a greece or cyprus and you just wake up monday morning and oh my pounds are now bitcoin that's what they want to call it bitcoin can you believe Ooh. this shit that's what that's, I think it's going to be a lot of the retirement accounts. I don't think they're going to give people opportunities as you oh, go into yeah. these. It'll be the retirement accounts. As for your point fruit, right? about the um, about Liz Trust, I'm not sure which one is worse though. Did you ever guy? Did you guys ever see the interview? I think it was a town hall meeting that she did, and the interviewer asked her how she felt about um, going to war with Russia and what if she had to use a nuclear weapon. And she's like all gung ho. She's like, yeah. Let's get in there. Let's do it. Like, I'm ready. Like, like she was just chomping at the bit to drop a nu nuclear bomb. And I'm like, God, what? this is so scary. 
So we've the, got these, these are the annihilation these are the of humanity on one side, and we have yeah. the subjugation of humanity on the other side. Like, <laughs> God, these are our choices. This is unbelievable. Well, that, that's what I was just going to say. It's like uh, talk about a uh, Sophie's choice. You got you got on one side uh, nuclear annihilation, on the other economic annihilation. Uh, in mm -hmm. either case, people probably you know starve and die. It, it's it's a really, it's a really awful, um, you know, option that people are being presented with, and I think that's why more and more people are starting to opt out entirely, start to look at, um, you know, independent avenues for wealth accumulation. Bitcoin being uh, obviously my preferred one. I did want to ask Daniel real quick about the the gold market because you were um, in the you know commodities realm for a minute. Uh, could you give me any insight as to you know how how corrupted that is, if if it is at all, and and if so, a little bit of details on it. I did not uh, work in the gold markets. Uh, when I switched to commodities, it was just all soft oils out of Southeast Asia. So I did not okay. have any insight into um, the gold markets. Had a few friends that worked on uh, gold options desks. Um, I think it's well known there's way more paper gold in circulation than there is actual physical gold. So what you have there is a market just absolutely leveraged to the hilt with what you'd call paper gold, um, which can be... Uh, manipulated um, by big players in the market uh, so you know it's just another pyramid ponzi basically yeah. that um we we see get captured in in you know, wall street bros are gonna wall street bro right that they're, they're, they're already trying to figure out ways to put derivatives on top of bitcoin and etfs on top of bitcoin and all of this fancy schmoozy stuff when all you've got to do is buy it self-custody it <laughs> <laughs> and it's yours yeah it's it's way more simple than they they try and make it and i think that ultimately uh it's not to your benefit to get involved with these extravagant uh you know financial interest inst uh instruments um the reason i wanted to ask though is you know i even though i am you know a big proponent of bitcoin i am fascinated that given the kind of i wouldn't say hyperinflationary but heavily inflationary environment that we're experiencing on a global scale and yet you still see a deflating price in gold like that that is you know even if it were flat i would have been like okay you know it's just if it's not its time yet but to see it go down like people aren't even head like they're not even considering it as a hedge anymore against inflation uh, i mean that's at least that's my read of it is there anything more to that I, either of you hop in there if you have any input on it so at the summit, I asked a lot of the speakers very similar questions to this. And, you know, we got answers from who knows, it's a mystery, to <laughs> basically some of the traders are looking at the Fed and looking at the rate hikes and things like this. And, you know, the, the standard play is sell everything. Like, Fed does this, sell everything. And they're selling gold along with tech stocks, selling it with everything else. But if we look at the physical markets, I mean, the delivery times for precious metals is way out in the future. I mean, you're talking months and months and months. Yeah. And if you're looking at some of the premiums that are on precious metals right now are absolutely huge. So let's say that silver, as we're recording, this is probably, I'm going to say $2.10 or $22.10 or something around there. But if you're buying a silver eagle right now, you're probably paying $28, $30, $32. And it's this massive premium on just getting the coin itself because there's way more demand than there is supply on these and people are willing to pay and they know that precious metals are going to be going up because it's tangible it's something real they can't inflate it and yada 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 but um 
I think it is one of those things where it, the answer is actually a lot simpler than people think. Everything is being sold right now. Everything is being done, uh, is going down, and people are just liquidating their proper their their portfolios, and yeah. that's what it is. And I mean, in long term, or not even long term, short to mid midterm, I fully expect precious metals to go through the roof. I mean, I'm buying at every single opportunity that I possibly can. And I think silver is up about 16% this month over the last 30 days. And gold's probably up about 6.8, 6.9% in the last 30 days. So it's it's coming back strong for sure. Yeah, well, I, I bought a huge amount of physical silver <laughs> um, in the first month of lockdowns because I, I knew that shutting down the economy, you'd have to print. And from the, the, you know, the purchase, the entry point that I got it, um, briefly, it touched fifty dollars, you know, a coin, and I had bought them for like twenty or eighteen, I mm -hmm. think it was. Mm -hmm. um, and but that and was the it, premium because I don't think the the spot price ever got that high. I think the spot price got as high as about thirty or thirty one or something. No, no, true, true. I, I'm strictly speaking about like if I were to have sold it, I probably could have got something close to that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it is just a it's a fascinating market and a, one that um, I think that the Austrians, you know, they. They have a, a misread of it somehow, uh, or at least the timing of it is is off, or there's some there's some factor that people are missing, and I, I think that your explanation is fair. Uh, Daniel, do you have any other input on it? It just seems that, that everybody, especially with what's happening with FTX, because you don't know the counterparty risk there, so yeah, anybody yeah. that has any kind of position that, that might be um, kind of linked with that, because you see the ripple effects, right? The first thing you do is you 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 run to cash and you just if you're a big hedge fund or money manager or something like that you will trim positions off everything you've got even even your gold even your silver because True. you just need to have the cash on hand just in case yeah you, uh, you, need, you need that you need that liquidity and and here's one last thing i want to say about liquidity is people think about liquidity kind of uh in the wrong way i think in um like the, the depth of the market is how they think about it. You know, how liquid is that market? If I need to sell this asset right now, can I do it? Now, there, there is no more liquid market than the Bitcoin market because it's open at the weekends. It's open on public holidays. That's true liquidity. Like it doesn't matter about the depth. If you need to sell something, you can access that market 24-7 every second of every single day. So I think that's another thing that people need to be very aware of when they are thinking about uh, hedging against this clown world that we currently find ourselves in. Yeah, well, I think that's a great point. Um, what what I find fascinating, and I, and I think that also explains why there's been uh, such a bear market in in Bitcoin itself in terms of you know dollar exchange rates. Uh, it what's what's interesting to me though is that you know you you're facing ten percent like year over year global inflation essentially, right? That's in, in terms of buying grocery, groceries and things like that. Um, but then you have people that are willing to go to cash, which they know they're going to lose 10% per year in terms of purchasing power. And they're saying, that's the best investment I have right now. Think about how catastrophic that is. But do you mm -hmm. think that people are going to be staying in cash for long term? Like I've gone no. back to cash. I'm there for a week, two weeks or something like that. And then I'm redeploying funds. I mean, I think sure, a lot but... of people are, so I don't think it's going to be, um, they're going to be holding onto cash for very long. I mean, what yeah. we're looking at is velocity and yeah, the published numbers might be 8.9% or 7.8% or something like that. But inflation is probably closer to around 15% when you look at, you know, 
what's actually happening in their in the world. Yeah. I mean, no one's going to be staying in cash. I think it's going to be coming pouring back into precious metals, Bitcoin, um, equities, real businesses with low PE ratios that are based on physical things, real companies that build real things. I think it's going to be coming out of anything to do with technology or growth stocks, anything that doesn't pay a dividend. I don't think that those will held, hold up at all. Um, but I don't think that people will stay in cash for very long. Well, I, I tend to agree with that thesis, but I think that the, the um, you know, conflicting factor that I would, you know, add to this equation as we try and figure it out is have we seen the deleveraging yet? You know, like, the, the real reason that this market is so bullshit is <laughs> because it's it's all built off of finance. It's all built off of leveraging capital and to an extraordinary heights. And and what we saw in 2008 and 2009 was a real deal deleveraging, you know, where you had foreclosures, you had, um, you know, banks that were taking massive losses and, and it should have been way worse than it was because they bailed out the banks and that shouldn't have happened. But had it happened, I think we would have, you know, found a, a real bottom that would have been an incredible foundation from which we could have built. Instead, they papered it over and they kicked the can and, and then they expanded upon it in a way that's really catastrophic. I mean, the, the 2020 response, Donald Trump into the Biden administration, both and, and global central banks and global po politicians the world over all basically did the same thing where they just fucked up the economy and then they printed money, which fucked up the economy worse. And then <laughs> like, here we go, like figure it out from there. Um, and I'm not sure that we have actually experienced the, the deleveraging that would be necessary to to start to see people deploy capital into the the asset, uh, you know, into assets. So I don't I know. think in the crypto market, we're seeing most of the leverage being sh shooken out over the yeah. last. I mean, we've had like crisis after crisis after crisis. And I think now the majority of it is gone from the crypto space. And I think that this is going to be a, a solid floor where people will be coming back in. And I think it'll be coming back in droves. I yeah, mean, no, it, that's it's probably going to go sideways for a little bit, but then I think it's it's coming up. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you on that. I think that it's because it was considered the more speculative arena, um, it, it it's washing out sooner. It's kind of like I always go back to my real estate experience because that's, that's what I specialized in. Uh, you would have, you know, peripheral markets are the ones that get hit the hardest and they also get hit first. And then the prime markets are the ones that get hit last and they get hit the least. Um, I don't think we've really seen the the prime market being real estate have its day of reckoning. Uh, and I'm not sure that we will, which is the weirdest thing about it because there really? there is so, yeah, just because there's so little inventory. Um, and and I, I know this is, I, I've gone back and forth on this because I, I've really, really thought a lot about this because this is, this is what I do mm -hmm. or at least what I did. Mm -hmm. um, there, the, the interest rate to acquire real estate is so vitally important when it comes to consumer demand in the real estate market, obviously, right? Like that's what you pay to purchase the property and you know what you, what you pay monthly to, to own it. Um, but there is no inventory because they had the lockdown uh, and the foreclosure and eviction moratorium. Basically, a bunch of people sat in their houses and they didn't. You know, they didn't get thrown out and those houses didn't get liquidated and put into the market. And we still have very low inventory, even though, uh, you know, purchases are are dropping like a stone. There's still not much inventory on the market. So, like, I just think that we haven't seen the bottom yet, but I'm not sure that we will see a bottom a la 2008, 2009 that, that really, you know, is a 50% drop in many markets. I don't know. Uh, you guys tell me if you think I'm crazy. Daniel, you chime in, but I got a question for you, Clint, if, um, okay, sure. if I can yeah. about this, because I, this is the way that 
my brain works. Okay. So if we have interest rates that are going up and anybody who's pulled out a mortgage and probably only put about 5% down because that's typical in today's day and age. And now they had variable rates and the rates are going up drastically and home prices are, although might stay level, the cost to repair the home is going to be significantly more expensive because True. building materials, the price of concrete has gone up, the price of lighting has gone up, the price of uh, board feet, everything like this has gone up. So now you have someone who has a 30-year 30, 30 mortgage or 25-year mortgage. Their rates have gone up. They have not very much equity in that. I can just see people mailing in the keys like it's 2008 all over again. Well, the, 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 the main difference is that they don't have adjustable rate mortgages. So like anyone that bought over the past five years is still so far in the black that they're not going to walk. I mean, if anything, they would sell. Like, I think, I think that the real question is, do we get into an inflationary environment that's so severe that people start to go like, I need to get this equity out. So I'm going to sell my house and, and see the inventory hit the market in that fashion. Because right now the builders are scared to death. Because I am a developer. I know like the mm -hmm. last thing I want to fucking do is build a house in this environment. Like it's horrifying because you don't know that you're going to have an end, end user for it. Um, so I'm not, I'm not really sure how it plays out. But the, the main issue is that we have a shortage of housing. We really, really do. And I'm, I'm speaking in American terms. I don't know globally. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but until we get that, I just I don't see how prices you know drop as much as you would expect them to, even though interest rates have skyrocketed. And, and I think that the real question is, can the Fed maintain its interest rate policy to the extent that you would think necessary to break the back of inflation without blowing up their balance sheet entirely? And I don't know that they can. So I think that that's what a lot of people are banking on is like, yes, I'm going to buy a house now anyways, just with the expectation that I will be able to refinance into a mortgage that's in the 4% range 18 months from now. It's, this is a, I don't see the mortgages coming down at all whatsoever okay. in, in the next decade or so. I think people oh, who are waiting are going to be waiting a long time. Yeah. What, what, why do you think the Fed is able to maintain interest rates at such an elevated level? No, no. For, I mean, for their mortgages itself, I don't think mortgage rates are going to come down by any means. I think mortgage rates are going to go up and up and up. And But the, the mortgage rates are, are predicated largely on the Fed funds rate. So if the Fed were to, to reverse course on their hiking path and to drop rates, which I expect them to do next year when the, when the economy gets so bad that they really don't have a choice, it's either like riots in the street or, you know, we stop inflation. I think that they're going to choose, uh, you know, mild inflation and they're going to have to lower rates to do that. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it's <laughs> fun. It's a fun it. conversation. Yeah, because uh, I just got a, a tweet today from an anonymous account that follows me on Twitter. He's been on the show as well, To um, if anybody wants to go and listen to that. Concilian Turgum is the, um, the Twitter handle. He uh, is in, um, in the business of, uh, of development. Um, and he just said that right now, um, developers, some big developers that he knows have taken, um, loan businesses, loan, the loan business in house and offering 5% rates, uh, and just 1% down to get people started. And that Holy seems shit. like bubble territory to me right there. <laughs> Imagine the caliber of person you're going to get who can only put 1% <laughs> yeah. down. Like, like that is going to be. A pretty irresponsible. This takes well, us all the way sorry. back to the big I mean, short I'm film, right? I'm being a jerk. Yes. I mean, well, 
the whole point was, okay, if you put 20% down, 30% down or something like that, you've had to have a certain amount of responsibility to mm -hmm. save up that much amount, amount of money. And then it went down from there and it was 10%, now 5%, now it's going to be 1%. That's scary. Yeah, well, I mean, they had basically no no down payment loans at the, the very late stages of the 07 uh, crisis, uh, all government backed, obviously, because no lender in their right mind would do shit like that. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, I, I really do think that that there's so many different variables that are impacting this market. And because to me, it's really probably the most important market because it's it's how most people get out of poverty into the middle class and the middle class gets into the upper class mm -hmm. uh, is is through real estate because it's the one thing that has been the static, you know, stone that allows you to weather the inflationary pressures of our profligate spending policies from the federal reserve and, and, and the uh the federal government too i don't know can i just, uh, Daniel, uh, can I just yeah please. i just want to add something there as well again it comes all the way back to the beginning of this conversation about how this system is completely broken and the incentive structures just <laughs> right. make things worse right so you're incentivized to buy property as an investment rather than just you know on your maslow hierarchy of needs shelter no, you're, you're incentivized to buy it, get on the property ladder in air quotes, so you can uh, you know, protect your wealth going forward. It's become like a, a, an investment, a part of your portfolio, which is completely nonsense. It's a house. Yeah. It should be for you to live in with your family to shelter you from the elements, right? Not, it should be a depreciating not, asset. Absolutely, it should. It is so let's get to that point. Why is it not? And let's, let's make sure everybody listening understands the true definition of inflation, which is basically just an increase in the money supply. That is the true original definition of inflation. What we've been taught over the years is that inflation is just higher prices and it's nothing to do with us. It's just, and it's good for the economy and all of this bullshit. So what happens when you get on the property ladder? Well, you go in with your 20%. If you've been good little Johnny and you've got that 20%, your life savings your life savings, you give over to the bank and then they give you the other 80%. They didn't have that laying around in, the, in a drawer or in a vault looking after it. That 80% extra that you needed to buy that house is just deposited in your account. That in itself is inflation. So by you being incentivized to buy the house to get on the property ladder to protect your wealth and your family, you are because of the incentive structure and the misalignment, because the fucking money is broken, you are part of the problem because you have just created inflation, which results in price rises everywhere else. Everywhere else, because that now that the, the property has just sold for X on your street, you've just pushed up the price of the property everybody else on that street. Everybody thinks they're happy, sitting fat and happy and getting rich without even realizing it's not the it's not your property that is going up in value. It's the purchasing power of your dollar that is plummeting. And <laughs> yes. like you said, it should be a deflationary asset. It's the same bricks. I mean, it, let's use Europe as an example. A 300-year-old barn is selling for 450,000 euros. <laughs> it's decrepit. It's the same bricks they used 300, 000, 300 years ago with thousands of tons of cow shit. A cement. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a half a million euro property. This is nonsense. That is the direct result of people's purchasing power being completely diminished over well, time. Check this out. So you, are you guys familiar with Caitlin Johnstone? No. Okay. She's a, uh, 
I think she's a communist, but she's um, tremendous. <laughs> she she's tremendously anti-war. So I I get along with her. We're friends because of we're both very anti-war people. Um, but she uh, she does this thread like every couple months she'll do this thread where she just blasts capitalism because she hates it. And um, in this thread, she's just um, pillaging you know the the landlord model of real estate and and having tenants and things like that. And and I hopped in there and I was like. Because she was just saying, basically, it's so predatory. It's rent-seeking because you're you're purchasing an asset which is inevitably going to go up in in price, and then you're having some other schlub who needs to live that comes in there and pays your mortgage, and so you would have had to maintain the property. You're not you're no longer even doing that. Blah blah blah. It's just like it's total you know straw men of of what being a landlord ultimately amounts to. But I responded to her and I said. If it weren't for the regulatory environment in the government, you know, like zoning laws and things of that nature, which makes it extraordinarily cost prohibitive and challenging to add inventory to this market, and the Federal Reserve, which is printing money to to base your currency, uh, ultimate and to set the interest rates too, which obviously adds to the uh, the consumer demand, which also increases prices. Like that house that you bought would not be a, a sure thing, surefire appreciating asset. Like you're framing it, so like, can we just agree that we should abolish the Federal Reserve? You know, like I'm, I'm trying to work with her here because I like her a lot, even though she's dead wrong about you know this being capitalism or anything like that. Um, but I just think it really goes to show how how fundamentally um, misunderstood what we're actually up against. Most people are like they they just don't they do not understand what I opened this entire episode with is that at our core we are not capitalism. Like this is not capitalism at all because it's, I mean, it's printed money. Like you just, you can't start from a foundation of sand and build anything of worth. I don't know. Mikkel, what do you think? Or well, I mean, it all comes back to education and we've had this conversation before and I've certainly had it with Daniel. I mean, he's got four kids. I got two kids. He homeschools his kids. I homeschool my kids. There's no way that I would ever put them in a state run program. Like that would be the last thing I would ever do in a million years. But how we're, common folk supposed to understand all of these types of things if they weren't taught it it's purposefully obscured i mean we were going to the conversation about what is inflation basically inflation as it is taught it's it's from the cosmos it's it's from magic and and nobody really understands how it works so it's very very simple like daniel said they turn on a printing press and they create money out of thin air there was nothing backing it there never was anything backing it well not since 1970s but i mean this is not explained in school. It's not explained in mainstream media. It's not explained in television or the movies or anything like this. So it's responsibility as parents, as people like us, to go out there and read and understand and educate ourselves and then teach our children and have their children teach and, and it's going to go forwards. But you can't rely on the state for anything anymore. I mean, not that you ever really could, but um, right. I think that that's, that's the problem. I mean, I'm a big yeah. one for... For yeah, education. I, I I can riff on that one uh, because I think we've probably I've definitely faced it. I'm sure you have, Mikhail, as well. Um, being accused of being a um, an irresponsible parent for either never sending your kids to school or taking them out. Uh, now this is really it always brings a smile to my face. How can that be irresponsible? It's the complete opposite. You are now totally responsible. It, right. It's on you, parent. You are now not farming it out to the state. You now cannot just 
hide behind the excuse, oh, just a bad teacher this year. Oh, fell in with the wrong crowd. Oh, there's um, there's like uh, a little agenda against him. And um, I don't know, for whatever reason, the principal doesn't like him. Because that's the general bullshit that you hear from parents when they little Johnny comes home with some kind of problem or a bad grade or whatever, because they are just trying to keep up with the Joneses and trying to signal to everybody else, oh, everything's fine in our camp, don't worry. Yeah. Completely irresponsible. Like, they have no responsibility there. Whereas the whole Well, Daniel, sorry to interrupt you, but yep. on the exact same vein and the exact same thought, most people do not understand personal responsibility. I mean, no. they have no idea. Most people do not understand what ethics are. Most people do not understand what morals are, and they don't understand personal responsibility. So for them, personal responsibility is giving responsibility to someone else that the mm -hmm. state has deemed has a certificate. They've got something on the wall right. that says they are responsible. And therefore, as a parent, you don't know what is best. That person over there does. So let's take your child and plow them in with 32 other kids or 31 other kids and one parent or one uh, teacher looking after them. And most people have no idea. Absolutely. I mean, I work from home. I homeschool my kids. I mean, you work from like, I mean, it's a very different, but we are the minority, like absolutely the, the, the smallest of the smallest of the smallest minority on this. And, and, and that's you're lucky, Mikkel. So, sorry, Clint. Uh, Mikkel's <laughs> lucky. He, he got out at 12. Right. Yeah, right. A lot of us. That's lot why of us I say I've been a libertarian since I was a child. I mean, before I even heard what, what the word libertarian meant, I knew it was a violent yeah. situation well, and I removed myself. No, good for I you, got out, you obviously... I got out at 19 and that's still relatively young. Some people are Definitely. in that until 22, 23, 24, depending on what freaking over. Or if you're doing your PhD, you could be like 32 or something. I've, I know some PhDs yep. who can't tie, tie their shoelaces or wash the dishes, but exactly. they've got a PhD and it's like, Jesus. Right. But they you never know, left. The no system offense to anyone who has a PhD. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> no, um, all all into uh, well, well-rounded human beings. I think there's a lot <laughs> yeah. to be said for that. Well, I, and I not to make excuses for people, but this I I would feel remiss not to bring up the Federal Reserve's impact on having both family members or both parents having to mm -hmm. work because of the inflationary pressures, which makes it so hard to live that they are then essentially forced. I mean, not really, but certainly coerced into to uh you know putting their kids in the control of some lunatic marxist that's going to indoctrinate them into hating their parents it's like this is all it's all you know from its from its inception it's like the federal reserve is responsible for so much of what's wrong in the world i said this when i was on on timcast over a year and a half ago and um you know i was brought on there to talk about blackrock and instead i just start pivoting to it's all the Federal Reserve's fault. Like BlackRock and all these crony enterprises wouldn't exist exist if it weren't for the Federal Reserve. But you know, Ron Paul was right. Yeah, it's that's what it is, man. This it's so it's it's so fundamentally flawed to function from this system. And so much of the so societal ills and the social issues that we're dealing with today are a product of not just the Federal Reserve, but just central banks, you know, the world over that are are essentially you know breaking. Like it's it's just destroying civilization now. And um, mm -hmm. You know, I just I, I'm very concerned that because people don't understand that in a, you know, in a real internalized fashion that instead of you know, hating what was actually done to them, they're going to turn around and hate capitalism and demand communism, which is basically what we have already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so messed up. Well, yeah. Daniel, you've traveled extensively through the world. Um, I'm sure you can chime in on this point as well. I mean, when you move overseas, 
you can live in a country where the cost of living is dramatically lower. You can eat organic fruits and vegetables. You get lots of sunshine and vitamin D. You can reconnect with your family. Like my wife doesn't work. She's a stay-at-home mother. We've got a full-time nanny. We've got a cleaning lady. You know, these are types of things I wouldn't be able to do if I was still back in Toronto. Like, I mean, it just would be absolutely ridiculous. But down here in Latin America or in Southeast Asia and places like that, you can have a fantastic life for a quarter of the price. You can get back to family values. You can leave a lot of this nonsense behind and have a lot more freedom in your life. And it's like, as far as anyone on planet earth can convince me we have one life to live like that is it like one mm -hmm. life to live so spend it with your family spend it doing the things that you want to do eat good food drink nice wine have fun um you know it's just spending all the time in north america and both parents sorry to go on a rant here but you know as you're talking about both parents having to work and the kids being raised by the state like this is a horrible situation i just i want to get people out of this situation be no, more responsible like uh, be more self-reliant is the word I'm looking for, more self-reliant. And I believe that the best vehicle for that is being an expat, living overseas. Mm -hmm. I, I echo everything you said there. And yeah, I left the UK in 1999, um, Yeah, spent 15 years in Singapore, and then two and a half years in travel. We've spent the last um, six years in Europe, primarily in France, which it, this will be our last year. Uh, <laughs> It's, 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 but why? You, know, <laughs> you coming down to oh. Panama? We're going to be neighbors, my friend. Yeah, could be, could be. Watch this tax space. Tax free, tax free. Uh, I love that idea. Um, but again, there's a lot of people that are listening to this that are trapped at their desk and daydreaming of yeah, it's so it's all very well for these guys to sit here and talk about this, but you know, it's impossible for me to do it. Um, it one, it's not. That's you in your way. Two. Test it. Test it for a month or two. Get that sabbatical. You can get a sabbatical of your job, especially if you're good at it, and especially after the last two years proving that you can work remotely. And I guarantee you, if they let you go, if you just bring up the idea of, I would like a sabbatical, if they let you go, you've saved yourself getting fired next year anyway because you're clearly expendable to them. So <laughs> right. you're, 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 you're kicking the tire. Uh, and if they do say yes... Rent your house out for a couple of months. Go and live in a cheaper jurisdiction. See how quickly you fall into that local community and find like-minded people. Don't send your kids to the school when you're there and see how they blossom. And then go back two months later and see how you feel. I guarantee you, you'd have changed. And you will yeah. be on your path. And you will have clarity of mind. And at the same time, you'll be earning pounds, euros, dollars, whatever it is, and spending... I know Thai bar pesos. or yeah, <laughs> yeah. pesos, whatever. Like you know, you will be living like a king, like Mikel was just uh, explaining. There's yeah. absolutely zero risk in that model to try that. Zero. Yeah. It's all upside. This well, the only I, good thing from the lockdowns was that it took the work from home movement and moved it ahead by about 15 years in mm -hmm. like 12 months. And the technology that we have and how seamlessly it works is unbelievable. And most businesses, they won't even know. I mean, if you're working remote right now, instead of doing it from your house in the States or in Canada or in France, go somewhere else. Go sit on the beach. Go up in the mountains. Go 
be back in nature and do your work. The internet's actually fantastic. Like I live in Panama City, Panama. We've got line of sight, satellite internet. It's super high quality. I laugh with my friend who's in Germany. Every time I talk with him, the internet's <laughs> cutting out like every four seconds and he gets dropped and it freezes. And I'm like, you're supposed to be one of the most developed country in the world mm -hmm. and you can't even get stable internet. And he's wealthy. Like, I mean, he's, he's very well to do. Cannot. Panama, developing country, but we've got fantastic internet. Costa Rica, fantastic internet. It's like, try something else and, and just go for it. Like Daniel's absolutely, you're so spot on. What's the worst that can happen? Just go well, for it. And I think, I think that the, the point I would make to the people that say, well, that's great for you guys. It's not possible for me in my circumstances. Well, you're the person that needs to hear this more than anybody else then. Like you're the one that needs to, to actually reflect on, okay, if it's not possible for you now, what can you do to make it possible? Because that you have to answer that. I mean, you're trapped right now. Like you can never be free as long as you say that's not possible for me. Um, mm -hmm. So I just really hope that people are taking, you know, if the last two and a half years didn't inspire you to start to think uh, the entrepreneurial path, the work from home, the work, uh, you know, remote type yeah. mentality. Or even like, try the freelance, freelance model. I mean, I have yes. nothing to do with them other than I'm a client of theirs, but go on upwork.com. I hire all of my staff through upwork.com. I probably spent a half a million dollars on their site throughout the years, but it doesn't matter what you do for a career, like literally anything, you can put a job up there and start getting paid. Like right. it's fantastic. It's never it's never been easier to to actually start to try your entrepreneurial things and you don't have to quit your job. Like you could just do it as a side hustle and see if if it works and if it doesn't then try something else. Like but it's like just please for the love of god stop stop sitting there, you know, statically and just saying woe is me, uh -huh. I can't do anything about this. It's like look, I get it. You know, we've all had our low points where we don't feel inspired or don't feel as if there's a path forward, but there is a path forward. And it's like it's up to us. It's up to us cuz the government sure as shit ain't going to help you. In fact, it's going to make it a lot harder. So I just hope mm -hmm. that people take, um, you know, stories like the two of yours as as inspiration and, and mine to a lesser extent. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm still in Florida. I'm still, you know, but I did move from California. So I, I, <laughs> I'm living it a little bit. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I, I may end up fleeing the country entirely, too, as I've talked about with Mikkel in their prior episode. Um, I'm still holding out hope that not necessarily that we can have a political revolution, but more uh you know, kind of a uh, ideological self-segregation where there are some states that really do embrace freedom just because I feel like it's worth fighting for in the land of the free, even if it's only a label. I don't know. I'm still yeah. a dreamer, guys. <laughs> I, I, I just want to say, like, nothing changes if nothing changes. There you go. Right? It, it's that simple. And there's a lot of people probably thinking as well, oh, well, I'm just, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't have that mindset. I'm not entrepreneurial. Well, no, of course you're fucking not because it was beaten out of you because you right. went to the state because school system. Yeah. And <laughs> entrepreneurism is your default state. That is how we evolved. That is our species. We are default entrepreneurs. We are supposed to zig and zag, not spend a linear lifetime working 50 years to get the gold type in at the end of that. That is <laughs> such a nonsense existence. So right. when you actually do step away from it, and I guarantee people lay awake, have those eureka moments where they're like, oh, they've just solved a problem, they could, a little widget that they could probably make millions from. But yet it's gone by that afternoon because you spent all morning shoveling shit back and forwards on emails for somebody else 
right? So you never got to act on it. If you give yourself a little bit of space, you will realize that entrepreneurism is, entrepreneurs aren't these unicorns. They're just not. They're just people living the natural way that we should be living. And that is solving problems efficiently and quickly when we see solutions to a problem, scratching our itch, all of the, you know, the kind of classic cliches. So don't be afraid of becoming an entrepreneur, whatever that should ever mean. Well, yeah, and you don't need to create the next text bubble or the next Twitter or the next, no, right. you know, and be a billionaire. Like, I mean, you can be an entrepreneur, make $50,000 a year, and go to the Caribbean and enjoy your life and be with your family. Like, you don't need mm -hmm. to hit a grand slam, like like just a little bit. But no. the, the amount of additional freedom that you will have in your life from something like that and then start stockpiling it away in bitcoin and you know <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> remove you like it. just to try to tie things back here but i mean it's yep. it's true i mean it's true just stop playing the game that this as long as you really take custody of that bitcoin that's yes that's exactly and don't use ftx like yeah. don't use yeah well, you can't anymore <laughs> but, or, or uh, any yeah. of the centralized exchanges for that matter it, well i just absolutely. i just wanted to say i just wanted to say real quick you know i i think that as uh daniel was detailing it's like Yes, it was. It was beaten out of you through the public school system and, you know, just the, the media, the political apparatus, everything that we experience uh, growing up. And this is not just an American phenomenon. This is largely a global one. Um, but once you start to scratch that itch of entrepreneurial spirit, like you become alive, alive again. Like it's almost like a mm -hmm. rebirth. At least it was for me uh, when I started to work for myself and to see the true uh, you know, reaping of the rewards of my own labor and and what that amounted to. It was so much more inspirational. I was filled with a passion that I hadn't had since I was a young child. You know, like, I, and I'm not even overstating that. I really felt as if like the the opportunities in life re reopened themselves to me. Um, and I think a lot of people feel as if, you know, like whether it's mistakes that they've made or or the upbringing that they had or financial decisions or whatever, that they kind of, they just, feel as if it's hopeless and i just i just that kills me it it breaks my heart that anyone at any age in any circumstance would ever feel that way it's never too late and you guys have an opportunity to to change your lives not just for yourself but for your your offspring you know it's a it's a beautiful thing and i don't think there's anything more risky than not taking that chance and it sounds counterintuitive but i honestly mm -hmm. believe it. totally agree all right. Well, well I guess that's how we'll like end it. Microphone drop on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Daniel, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. Yeah, sure. You can find me on Twitter. That's primarily where I'm hanging out. And that's Princey, uh, P-R-I-N-C-E-Y-S-O-V, which stands for store of value, which I want people <laughs> to understand. Um, he's a, he's and, a real Bitcoiner, folks. <laughs> yeah. You, you'll, you'll find me on there tweeting... Um, about Bitcoin, about homeschooling, about the state education system, about abolishing the fiat legacy system, um, retweeting those people I find interesting. And that's where you'll be able to pick my, up my, um, my latest shows as well on the Once Bitten podcast. Hey, Mikkel, is the, uh, is the Expat Money Summit still available online for people to go watch? Finished. Finished last week. Uh, we had thousands of people there, but it's all done. So Damn. 2023, you guys can go to expatmoneysummit.com. But uh, in the meantime, uh, you can check out my work at expatmoney.com. There's links on there to our podcast. Podcast's been going for six years, almost seven years, I think. Um, lots of big, fantastic names. Daniel's been a guest on the show. Excellent episode on there. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, happy to help your audience, Clint, and, and do everything I can to help relocate people. I talk about a lot of the same things that Daniel just mentioned, definitely homeschooling, definitely Bitcoin, definitely personal responsibility and libertarian values. Uh, my big part, though, is that uh, in 23 years of traveling the world and, and exploring our planet, that the offshore markets and living overseas is the best vehicle, absolute hands down best vehicle I have found to having more freedom in our lives. I, I totally agree with you. Actually, the the reason I'm I'm still behind enemy lines is uh, not not because I don't believe that there are better options for me out there. I'm just kind of uh, I don't know. I'm sacrificing myself on, on on behalf of the American people, trying to <laughs> trying to save you people. Wake up, wake up for God's you sake! Can always do that from abroad. Can always know, do that I from know, abroad. It's my just, friend. There's something about you know <laughs> saying it from American land that makes people take it more seriously. <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys so much for uh, for joining me. Uh, I think that um, you know stories like yours are really inspirational, and I hope that it inspires some people. So thank you again. Thanks, Thanks for having us on, Clint. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?